Murdoch University, Alumni After Dark, powering your mind. Hello everyone and welcome to Alumni After Dark. I am your host, Samantha Osborne, and today I have my wonderful co-host joining me, Michael Sampson, uh, and he is our Communications Manager. Thank you for joining me today, You're Michael. welcome, welcome, happy to be here. <laughs> um, today we're going to be talking to an alumnus who has just returned from the UN Climate Change Conference in Glasgow and who was one of only 10 CEOs who spoke to world leaders regarding climate change. I'd like to give a warm welcome to Murdoch alumnus and CEO of Fortescue Future Industries, Julie Shuttleworth. Hi, Thanks, Julie. <laughs> How are you? You're still in quarantine? I'm in quarantine for 14 days. Get out in about a week. Sure. How are you finding it? Got to come in here with the right positive mindset, do some exercise and catch up on lots of work. Oh, awesome. Cool. All right. Well, um, could you tell us a little bit about um, what you were doing at the recent conference? As the CEO of FFI, it was really important that our company was represented at Glasgow. We uh, went there with a key message that green hydrogen is a practical, implementable solution to decarbonise hard to abate sectors, such as heavy haulage, shipping, rail, aviation and heavy industry. Um, this creates a huge economic opportunity and creates jobs globally. Uh, our chairman, Dr Andrew Forrest, myself and other team members, we spoke at various events. I spoke on many, many panels, particularly on green hydrogen and green steel, but the pinnacle moment was actually on day two of COP26, where I spoke at the World Leaders Summit to all the world leaders. In a session which was attended by President Biden, um, the PM of UK, um, Prince William and many other presidents and prime ministers. So it was a really great event, the World Leaders Summit. And what I spoke about was the example of Fortescue Metals Group and how we're decarbonising heavy industry and showing that heavy industry can lead the way to decarbonise the planet and we've got to get on and do it. Sure, yeah. And, and how do you feel about the key outcomes that were agreed on? Well, at COP26, it was really great to see businesses, governments come together. There was tens of thousands of people, a real buzz there. Big focus on technology, funding, government support and supporting developing countries as well. But what is really clear to me coming out of COP is that the climate, the Glasgow Climate Pact, one of the key statements that came out of that to me that stood out was that to limit global warming to the one and a half degrees Celsius requires rapid, deep and sustained reductions in global greenhouse gas emissions, including reducing carbon dioxide emissions by 45% by 2030 compared to the 2010 level. Now that's huge. That means we've got to take action right now. Governments, businesses and communities need to act. We can't wait. I mean, that's by 2030, a 45% reduction by the 2010 levels. Yeah, wow. Okay, cool. And when you were um, there, like there were only a select group, as, as I understand. Did you have your competitors, like in terms of you were presenting the decarbonisation model, were there other people um, presenting other alternatives for tackling heavy industry or? So there's several avenues. There's renewable electricity that can go straight into electrical driven equipment. There's green hydrogen and green ammonia for those other hard to abate sectors where you can't use renewable electricity. So how I see this is this is not about competitors. This is about companies across the world coming together to combat climate change. So we all actually need to help each other to get the momentum, to get the projects going, to get the learnings, develop the technology, the manufacturing. Everyone actually needs to come together to help combat climate change. This is not competition now. This is actually action. We all need to collaborate. Yeah, that's right. Um, and you deal with the uh, with green hydrogen, is that right? 
So we're focused on renewable electricity, green hydrogen and green ammonia. It's really important to use a combination of all of those things to help decarbonise heavy industry. But the focus for us is on making green hydrogen because it will help. To, it will really help to decarbonise those hard to abate sectors. And the thing with green hydrogen can make green ammonia and other green industrial products that will help decarbonise heavy industry. Mm. So what is green, green hydrogen? How's it, how's it made? Well, most hydrogen today is made through a process called steam methane reforming, where you use natural gas and steam to make hydrogen and carbon dioxide, which releases a huge amount of greenhouse gases into the atmosphere, not just from the CO2 itself, but from the fugitive emissions of getting the methane out. So green hydrogen is so critical. It's zero emissions. We take renewable electricity from solar, wind, hydropower or geothermal. We use that renewable electricity in the electrolysis of water. When you electrolyze water, you get hydrogen and oxygen. When it's made from renewable electricity, zero carbon, zero carbon emissions, zero greenhouse gases. And that's why it is the fuel for the future because it's zero carbon. And when you were at the conference, I mean, that would have been firstly very exciting with the whole world's attention. Mm. <laughs> if you've got Biden there, it's quite a high profile event. Were there, at the end of it all, were there some additional actions that you've you feel like that world league leaders could take there's, have there's a certainly glasgow climate pact that's come out um where there's a lot of acknowledgements and recognitions there i still think more action is going to be needed to get this happening fast where i can see world leaders taking action is in a couple of areas we need clear and efficient approvals pathways for these green hydrogen projects so we can get the green hydrogen projects going faster. That's renewable electricity, that's green hydrogen, green ammonia, green industrial products. Uh, not all countries, not all regions have clear legislation, clear pathways outlined for that. Governments also need to provide their support with infrastructure and initiatives that actually help uh, the green industry, not keep the fossil fuel industry going. And the other important aspect is a global accreditation system for green hydrogen that's based on emission intensity so that consumers know how much carbon emissions come out of their kilogram or tonne of, of hydrogen. Right now, using um, carbon, the, the natural gas method, a lot of natural gas is emitted, methane, a lot of carbon dioxide is emitted in the process. Uh, that all needs to be tracked and captured so that people know when they buy hydrogen in future, how many carbon emissions is made, is used from making that hydrogen. Mm. Um, I listened to you speak at COP and um, you were talking about um, that you have some of the mine trucks um, already running on. Is it green hydrogen? Is that right? So we've already tested a huge haul truck to run on hydrogen. Yep. We've tested a locomotive, one of our trains, to run on ammonia. And we're testing in a pilot scale ship engine uh, to run on ammonia as well. Now we've now purchased a ship we're going to convert that to run on ammonia. We're putting a, uh, our trucks into the operations next year to run on hydrogen at in, in the operating environment. And we've got now three locomotive engines that we're testing on ammonia and we, we're aiming to get them into the operating environment next year. So this has all been done um, in our workshop at Hausamia here in Perth, technology demonstration. And now we're ramping that up to put it into operation to prove it can be done in the operations. And from there, we'll then start um, replacing the fleet at Fortescue so that by 2030, we're aiming to have no diesel in our operations. That's amazing. That's really amazing. And that must be quite a big fleet to replace. I imagine <laughs> you have rather a large amount of equipment. 
We've got hundreds of pieces of mining equipment. Uh, importantly, right now we're using over 700 million litres of diesel per year. So this is why it's so critical for us to act, for other mining companies, other heavy industries to act, to eliminate that use of diesel and the emissions of greenhouse gases in the future. Just an ad additional question. I mean, you say about the, the um, government sort of getting behind it. In, in terms of how do you think Australia is in terms of uh, the support and the encouragement and tariffs and barriers and um, experimenting with this technology? Are we positioned quite well um, compared with the rest of the globe? Australia is hugely positioned with our renewable energy resources to just take advantage of this and really lead the green hydrogen economy. We actually need governments, we need businesses, communities, everyone behind it seeing these opportunities. It was great the Australian government committed to a net zero by 2050. It's great the Australian government was at COP26, but we all do need to take uh, action together, collaborate together and really drive this government, businesses and communities. And do you think the deadlines are really zero emission by 2050? Is that, should we be moving faster or is that um, a, a realistic target in your eyes? Well, I believe we can be net zero by 2050. We should definitely be moving faster. Uh, the planet's cooking. We need to take action now. It is a critical point in time. We need to get these projects going. So we call it getting the flywheel turning, get the first project started, learn from them, get improvements into the next project, build the next project, drive the cost down, get more efficient and really, you know, really kickstart this green hydrogen economy. Just to take you back a bit, um, you studied uh, extractive metallurgy and chemistry at Murdoch back in the day. Um, when you were here doing that, was it always your intention to work in the resource industry or did you have another view of your future? I, I always loved science and when I studied extractive metallurgy and chemistry at Murdoch, I made the most of my first year uni holidays. I went to a mine and really got stuck into learning what it was all about and it got in my blood. So from that point, I loved it and uh, my career took off from being a metallurgist to being a process plant manager to working in China, Africa, being travelled the world. I've travelled to over 120 countries now around the world, about 60 of them for work. Never would believe that when I was at uni that I'd get to travel so much. Uh, became general manager at Mine Sites and then deputy CEO for Fortescue and now CEO of Fortescue Future Industries. So it's definitely twisted and turned. Um, you know, from going 25 years in operations and now to be in renewables and green energy, it takes me back to my days studying metallurgy and chemistry. So it's a great fit. I love it. 60, I mean, you're still quite young. 60 countries is, uh, is a fair few already. Have you, um, are there any highlights from or places you've worked or, or mine sites you've been at that stand out for you? Yeah, that's 60 countries for work and 120 for fun. So, you know, it's a lot of travel I've been able to do. And, you know, one reason I, I wanted to work as a metallurgist in the mining industry is that I didn't want to just have a city job and work inside. So my job got me out in the middle of Australia. It got me out around the world. When I think about the career I've had, I mean, I, I loved working in Tanzania, in East Africa. I worked there for 10 years just um, and travelled all around Africa. I love um, South America. I've spent the last four years going there regularly as we've set up our copper exploration business in South America and now as we're developing Fortitude Future Industries over there. Uh, but, you know, every every place you go, you learn something different. And what's important is the 
the culture piece um, and the communities. And with my with my job in mining and now with FFI, I've been able to contribute in a positive way to communities all around the world uh, through education, training, jobs, uh, using letting local businesses have an opportunity. And um, in the trip I've just done, I've just come back from 20 countries in the last two months. We spent a lot of time in the communities and talking to them, engaging with them, to, you know, telling them about our project. And, you know, we're committed to education, training and jobs. And it's really important that you start that engagement with communities. If the community doesn't support the project, it's pointless even trying to do the project. So really starts there. I'm very passionate about that. And that really started because I started working overseas and saw the positive benefit that communities can have around the world from projects. And the good thing about green hydrogen is that you don't have to have oil, gas or minerals under your soil. You can have renewable energy and you can make green hydrogen and um, people in developing countries, communities that never had opportunities before have now got opportunities. It's just fantastic. It sounds like about 20 countries in a few days. It sounds like your greatest achievement is managing to juggle family and the rest of life with your position. Is that correct? Oh, you've got to be really organised, planned. But the important thing here is while you work hard and long hours, we're doing this to for the betterment of the planet. But also you've got to make time to spend with your family, to do the fun things you like to do, to keep you energised and positive. And that doesn't just happen. You have to organise that, plan it and make sure you do it. Um, you've got to have fun in life. You only get one shot at it. So being happy, enjoying yourself and doing the things you love to do is absolutely really key. 100%. And just to go back to, I mean, you've spent a lot of time in the mining industry, um, which has, I mean, it's fair to say, I think, been a fairly male-dominated industry. How do you see it now in terms of opportunities for women um, and equal opportunity in the industry? I've always found the mining industry has got so many excellent opportunities for women across a range of careers. I've had a very good experience across all the companies and mine sites I've worked at. But I want to talk about Fortescue to, to share the experience at Fortescue. We're, we've got a company with 26% of the senior leadership are women, 44% of our board are women. And this diversity starting at the top makes a huge difference and infiltrates down the workforce. We've got so many practical initiatives that support women in the workplace, starting from trade up and apprenticeships, empowerment leadership programs, job share, part-time work, um, flexible working start and finish times. But what's also really important is the job share is for those even working fly and fly out. And this is not just for women, of course. This is for men and women. Many men take this up. So you can actually um, share your job with someone else and work um, a, a more flexible roster. We've got childcare facilities in the office in Perth and we've got our integrated operations centre in Perth where we control our operations remotely and about 50% of our workforce in that remote operation centre are women. So it just goes to show that it does depend on the culture of the company. Um, but I've found the mining industry through my nearly 30 years now in it to be a place for great opportunities for women. Sure. And do you think that women um, who work in the resource industry, I guess are provided with like enough support and tools um, to ensure safety? This really starts with the culture and the values of the company having a strong code of conduct, expectations set from leadership and the culture that runs through the entire organisation with a zero tolerance approach to any inappropriate behaviours. Um, at Fortescue, we've done a um, workplace integrity review just recently and we have made some improvements from that review, including um, enhanced physical safety measures such as improved lighting, enhancing the door locks, increased CCTV. 
but we've already got lots of things in place already. We've got chaplaincy support, we've got you know team support, we've got um, security around the place. So there's already a lot of things in place. And I think it does depend um, on where you work and the company you work for, but I've seen across all companies a huge focus on this and improving this area over the last few years. Brilliant. With, with all your experience, um, what, I mean, there's a lot of opin opinions about the fly in, fly out sort yeah. of existence. Um, is yeah. it something that you've seen sort of evolve and get modified? And, and do you feel like it is a sustainable model or something that puts too much pressure on families? What, what do you conclude about it all? Well, I've done fly in, fly out for many, many years and I absolutely love it. Um, provides great opportunities for people that where who, who it suits. It doesn't suit some people and families, but it definitely suits others. Um, my own personal experience in FIFO, I love working the long hours, and then I love having the time off and being able to travel and, and do things on my time off. And many people love that. Now, I was doing FIFO when I got pregnant, and I did FIFO until I was eight months pregnant. Did then a month in the Perth office, had my son. Um, Jet, who's now nearly six, and then after having eight months off, I went back and did FIFO for nearly two years, and I could do that because my family situation allowed it. My husband um, started running a business from home, so he could be there to look after our son. So that suited me really great, and it was great for me to go back to my job um, that I had before. Um, now, of course, then I got the opportunity to become deputy CEO, move to Perth, and now I still get to travel a lot with my job. So. I really think FIFO suits some people and they can embrace it and others it doesn't and, and that's absolutely fine. The thing about FIFO though, there's healthy food, there's gym, there's limits on the amount of alcohol you can drink. You've got to really have an environment there that's where people can still be healthy and get the rest that they need. Um, and then it's all about your teammates and who you work with and the environment is really positive and really strong and that team camaraderieship is absolutely um, something that everyone should be proud of. And what's it like working for Mr. Forrest? He's quite a colourful character. How have you found that? I love the vision, um, the empowerment to get on with things. Really, work, he worked so hard um, and really focused on doing the right thing for humanity, for the environment. And I find it very inspiring. I feel very empowered to get on with and do the job. And to be able to decarbonise a heavy industry by 2030 with some huge stretch targets and also to focus on decarbonising industry across the planet is an amazing privilege for me. I'm just so happy to be leading FFI and the wonderful team that we've got. You, you like to set yourself some large goals. It's very impressive. But... <laughs> um, so just one last question, Julie. Um, what's next for you? As, lead, as leader of uh, the FFI team, um, I'm very focused on growing FFI to be the world's leading renewable energy and green products company. We are going to decarbonise Fortis's operations by 2030, which will abate over 750 million litres of diesel per year, which is really key to lead by example to do that. And going to be producing renewable energy, green hydrogen, green products around the world to decarbonise the planet with a focus to make 15 million tonnes of green hydrogen by 2030, which is a huge stretch target. And at the same time, contribute in a positive way to communities around the world uh, as we um, really help with climate change. So that's my focus. It's pretty some fantastic uh, goals there for you then, clearly. I think the Murdoch students will be um, singing at some of these uh, outcomes that are coming. That's right, <laughs> exactly. Well, thank you, Julie, um, for really just giving us a fascinating insight into your world and 
congratulations on all of your achievements so far. Um, we really look forward to hearing about your future successes. Thank you. Um, for our listeners, you can follow Julie on LinkedIn, which you can find in the description of this podcast. Um, and please don't forget to follow the Alumni After Dark series. If you'd like to be a part of the series, then email me at alumni at murdoch.edu.au. Thank you, Julie. And thank you, Michael. Great. Thanks, Samantha. Thanks, Michael. Been great to chat. Thank you. Uh, 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 uh.